And we are going. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Generous United. If you don't know what Generous United is, they are a membership-based buying group headquartered right here in Atlantic Canada, okay? Our own backyard. Uh, their mission, what they are dedicated to, their goal is making sure that prescription drugs are more affordable so we can all live healthier lives. And we all right now, we all know right now in this pandemic, it, uh, it's a little bit tough every now and then to, to live a healthy life. Uh, it's a, we, I don't have to get into detail, but we all know it is difficult from time to time. Uh, so Generous United and the pharmacist, the person that's, you know, essentially in your local community who is also dedicated to making sure that you live a healthy life, uh, the pharmacist and Generous United will team up to make sure that you have an attentive, personalized service while you save money on prescription drugs. Sounds like the perfect match, if you ask me. Pharmacist, Generous United, sounds good. Head on over to generousunited.ca. That's G E N R U S united.ca and see if they have any products that would be great for you, a loved one. Uh, we all need to start living healthier lives, and Generous United is here for us. Today's episode is also brought to you by Osprey Ridge Golf Course, a Graham Cook design course, family owned. I'm there almost every weekend. The thing about a family-owned golf course is that they take pride in the little things. The fairways are beautiful. The greens have a great pace. And after the 18th hole or 9th hole, depends on how many holes you play, you head on up to the bar, head on up to the patio, enjoy a cold one, and you can look over the entire golf course. Newly renovated, beautiful. Like I said, myself and other members of the High Button Sports family, we're there pretty much every weekend playing, so hopefully we see you there. Remember, Osprey Ridge Golf Course, only 45 minutes outside the city. Get there and enjoy your golf this summer. Today on the High Button Podcast, we have Bradford Curran. Brad, at the age of six years old, was invited to the Canadian Golf Academy in Prince Edward Island, our beautiful neighbors here in Nova Scotia. Brad grew up in Halifax. He was actually good enough at the game of golf that he got a scholarship to the University of South Carolina, Beaufort. After that, he played on the PGA Latin American Tour, also the PGA Canadian Tour, and now he's the pro over at Oakfield, teaching others how they can essentially have a career in professional golf. I'm excited to talk to Brad and see the steps that he had to take in order to get to the levels of golf uh, he's at right now. So it's going to be a great episode. I'm Justin. We're talking to Brad Curran. Here we go. You know what comes next. Boom. We're going. Brad, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. How was uh, how was your morning? It was good. It was good? Yeah. What'd you do? I uh, got up and worked out for a bit, and then I went out to the club for probably 6.30. Yeah. And catched up on my emails. Then I practiced for like an hour before. My first client showed up at 8.30, did two golf lessons, and then organized the tee times for my junior league on Thursday night and was late coming here. <laughs> I don't mind. It's all good. <laughs> I don't mind you being late for this. It's all right. I like uh, just the fact that you're here, and I'm going to pick your brain for an hour. The fact that you're not charging me, I'm pumped. I'm really, yeah. I just, I just want to get some lessons from you via through the microphones. No, but I'm, uh, like I said, I'm very happy that you're here, and I'll give you a little bit about my golf background. I probably started six months ago. Um, you know, like a lot of people in Nova Scotia, where there wasn't really a whole lot to do. So the one thing that you were able to do was golf. Um, and uh, I picked it up and, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm obsessed, but I really enjoy it. I've probably gotten out for maybe 40 rounds already this year. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's great. And uh, Man, I've played like maybe 10. Really? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. 
But don't you work at a golf course? Yeah, I do, but I work at the golf course, right? I, kinda, I guess so. It's not right for me to take tee times from members when yeah. we can't even accommodate our membership and we're turning away 170 members yeah. on the weekends. So I don't really book myself into the tee sheet ever. Like, I'll jump out if there's an empty spot and I'm not busy, but I play most of my golf, like, 6.30 in the morning before the first tee time so I can rip around the course and hour and 15 minutes and go about my day after that cool um how was the game of golf introduced to to you how old were you when you first started playing and um, all that i started learning golf when i was probably five years old Let's talk a little bit closer to the um, yeah, right there. yeah my Figured dad was yeah. uh like learning how to play he was a really good hockey player played goalie for dow okay and was like playing in all kinds of corporate events with his business and he's like losing to all these like unathletic guys and he's like what's going on here like i can't figure this golf thing out like it's really hard. So we started taking lessons in a group with my brother, my dad, and I when I was like five and started learning at the same time as him. And then I didn't really play a lot, just really with dad when I was young. And we got sent to golf camp once a week in the summers from the age of like six till probably 13. I went to the PEI Golf Academy in yeah, Dunderave. Yeah. And I started learning there, but I really didn't get into the tournaments till probably about 14. Like I played some local club stuff at Oakfield, like just like the junior league and then like club championship junior invite but i didn't really travel much outside of oakfield when i was young okay played like i think the first tournament outside oakfield i played was the nova scotia midgets when i was 13 yeah but i didn't really get into golf till probably high school once i didn't make major midget playing hockey and stopped putting my focus into hockey through the summer i started playing a lot more golf and prioritizing golf tournaments over all my other stuff and got pretty good and got better a little quick like but I wasn't like I didn't really have any idea how to play golf. I was just athletic and like even in high school, you pretty didn't? good at it. I mean, you would say I had a good idea. I was like almost a scratch golfer, but I just had like zero game management until I went down to the states and went through the same thing as my dad of like getting down there and being on a golf team and like losing to these like hundred and thirty forty pound like skinny little kids that can't even hit their drivers past my three iron. I was just like, what's going on here? Like, why are you guys beating me? I don't understand. Yeah. But I just had horrible game management. Like, I used to hit driver off every hole because I thought you're supposed to hit drivers on power fours and fives. Yeah, you sound like me right and now. That's like, what I do. I just didn't place my ball in good spots. And, like, I was always trying to hit at the flag stick and, like, trying to make birdie on every hole. And it's just – it's not realistic. Like, golf's not a game of perfection. Like, it's impossible to hit perfect shots. You're in a forever changing environment. Like, even standing on the driving range, every single swing you make, it's a different environment. The wind's gusting differently temperature changes like there's so many different factors that perfection is straight impossible to where like the perfect round in golf is a 59 right it's happened five times on the pga tour only two of those times was a power 72 so 13 under is like your perfect round of golf if you consider the fact that there's four eagle opportunities 18 holes the best score in tour history should realistically be like 18 to 22 under par if perfection was realistic but it's not like your lies uneven every time you're in the rough you're in the fairway the grass is different the wind's different the temperature's different the hole location is different the tee box is different like it's never the same the golf courses are all different to where perfection's like impossible like bowling people bowl 300 games like all the time because they're in a consistent environment it's the same motion over and over and over again it's very repeatable but even though the golf swing's the same you're always in a different environment so like it's impossible to hit perfect shots to where like if you're aiming at the flag stick 
and you hit it good, you've probably already hit a bad shot. Like if you don't think about where you want to play your next shot from before you even choose the shot you're going to hit, you've already hit a bad shot. So wait, you mean if you haven't chosen where you want to place the ball before you hit, Perfect, you hit it, right? Like, so you don't want to aim for the stick. You want to aim to where yeah, you want to play. Like okay, if okay, flag okay, okay. is like back right, I'm trying to hit my ball down the left side of the fairway so I get a good angle into the flag. Okay. Versus like Oakfield's a good example. Like holes like 8 and 16, the greens are very elevated. So if the, red, the flags are red on the front, I'm never going to hit it up inside 100 yards because I can't put enough spin on that ball to stop it quickly on the green. If I put myself in that awkward like 50 to 80 yard range where I don't have a full swing, I don't have enough spin to stop it. The green's elevated. If it hits short, it'll stop and roll back. If it lands on, it'll roll past. So if I hit a good tee shot with a driver into the fairway up there, I have almost no play. Versus if I think about where I want to play my next shot from, which is outside 100 yards where I can spin it, then I have a way better opportunity to keep my ball in play. But more importantly, I have some options coming into the green rather than putting yourself into a bad situation. Wow, what like, an answer. One of my favorite quotes is like Ben Hogan says that 80% of golf is not about hitting perfect shots. It's about making sure your bad shots end up in a good place. So you're not going to hit them all perfect, but if you can like almost always try to miss the green short, right? Golf courses are designed to cater towards the general public. Even a championship style layout, par fours and fives are almost all designed that you can roll the ball all the way down the fairway, roll it up onto the green. And all of the greens are always going to be pitched back to front. Like very few greens you've ever played are going to slope anywhere other than back to front because it's designed to hold shots from the general public that aren't coming in high with a lot of spin. So if you miss your shots short of the green, you're always playing uphill and it's far easier to play uphill than it is down just because the slope will stop your miss hits and you have way more options. You can hit high, you can hit low, but if you go over the green onto a down slope, you're pretty much hitting a flop shot every time. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be a lot more difficult to keep your ball in a less risky place, right? You're trying to eliminate all the risk that you can and just give yourself whatever your level is, whether you're trying to break 100, you're trying to give yourself bogey opportunities and take out the big numbers. If you're trying to break 90, you're trying to take out the doubles playing for pars if you're trying to break par you're not really trying to birdie every hole you're trying not to make bogeys on any holes and letting the birdies happen when you hit a good shot or you hit a good putt or just keeping yourself in a playable situation all the time is the biggest key to golf interesting it's way like to me like golf is it's such a unique sport because you're out there on your own like you got to be the athlete and you got to be the coach at the same time right like if you think about football and your receiver your job is to run and catch and that's it you're just an athlete you're just playing a sport the coach is doing the strategy the coach is playing the game the coach is picking the defense picking the best strategy to expose his athletes but when you're out in the golf course unless you have a caddy you're out there on your own you got to be the player and the coach yourself you got to think the strategy side of it figure out where you want to play your shots to and then you got to go be an athlete and hit the ball there mm -hmm. but if you haven't like thought about where you want to go before you hit it, it's going to be really hard to trust the shot you're going to hit where you see almost every amateur golfer just aim it at the flag on every single shot they hit, not even accounting for any of the risk. So when you take power into consideration, if you do have a driver and you're on a par four and you have a dog leg to the left and there's trees on the left-hand side as well, let's say you're a guy who has power, would you go, okay, no, I'm going to do the driver over the, the trees? Are you a guy who just plays it safe, or is it, does it depend on golfer to golfer to golfer to golfer? Kind of what I was talking about earlier about, like, how I used to be an athlete and had no idea how to play golf. Like, I always used to try and blast it over the dog leg and cut the hole off. Yeah. But, like, the more you learn about it, 
the less that benefits you. Like even if you cut the corner and you give yourself 100 yards in, you're still taking two shots to get to the green regardless, but you're taking on so much more risk that you're bringing in double, triple bogey into play. It's true. To where the golf strategy is to always play the outside of the dog leg. If it's a dog leg right, you don't want to try and cut the corner. You want to hit it to the opposite side of the fairway. To where even if you hit it into the trees on the other side of the hole and it's curving back left to right, you're going to be coming out of the tree line straight towards the green. If you try and cut that corner and you don't make it, there's going to be trees between you and the hole. Yeah. So you always try to play the outside of the dog leg because it gives you the best angle into the green, even on your bad shots, which is the whole key is putting your bad shots into playable places. I love that. Like you haven't even taught me how to swing a club and like saved I saved you five strokes. Yeah, yeah honestly, I, I <laughs> yeah. my my best score this year was a ninety-one. I my first round this year, I think I shot a I don't fuck it was like a one forty, like a hundred and forty. Yeah. And you know, I've like I said, I've played around forty rounds, and you know, I'm I'm like mid nineties, hundred guy, and I the closest I've come is a ninety-one. Or I think it was a ninety-two. And uh, and just taking that little bit of advice. How long are we into the podcast right now? Five minutes eight minutes in that's that advice for myself and for i think a lot of people listening is incredible don't think about your shot think about your next shot yeah if you haven't decided where you want to hit to before you play it like you're already fighting an uphill battle like when i give golf lessons i save people more strokes on like their mental approach and like try not to swing so hard or just having a good attitude than i do actually improving their golf swings because even if they're hitting better perfect shots and hitting it better if they're not thinking about where they want to hit it it doesn't really matter if you're hitting it better or not. You're just going to you're going to hit some good shots, you're going to hit some bad shots, but your bad shots will still be in really bad places. But if you have a good strategy, your bad shots will be playable. Yeah. What's the one factor of golf that uh, that you find addicting? I feel it can be a lot of answers for a lot of different people, but for yourself who um, consumes the game every day, what's the addicting factor for you? I would say it's the endless pursuit of improvement. Like no matter how good you do at golf, you can always do better. Like when I was talking about shooting 59, like that's your perfect round of golf. Like everybody's out there is chasing that 18 under round, like trying to, you, no matter how good you get, you can always get better, right? Like there is no perfection in golf. So there's always room for improvement. Like even at the highest level, like look at Phil, like Phil Mickelson is a hall of famer, like multiple time major winner, got a new coach last year, new perspective on the game. He's got a great attitude now and he won a PJ championship at 50 years old mm. on the longest major championship setup ever right like if he didn't have a good attitude he basically had no chance but he believes that he can compete with those guys even though he's older because he's got the best short game of all time maybe outside of Seve, but they both have a lot of common principles and like he knows he can rely on his short game if he can just put the ball in play to where that's what cost Phil for so long is that he was always chasing extra yards off the tee and he's spraying it all over the place. Because he's like, I want to hit bombs. And yeah. sometimes those and bombs he, he's weren't. still doing that. So, like, when the days your tempo and timing's a little bit off, like, okay, you don't have the same control of it versus if you just stay patient all the time, you're yeah. going to have consistent results instead of, like, you get out there and you're 3-4 over on the first few holes and you're trying to force it and you're hitting more drivers and trying to make up for those mistakes with some birdies. You're going to bring in way more risk and your score is going to go up. Rather than he's just like, hey, like, hit a couple of bad shots. Like, he won the PGA, hit it in the water on Sunday. Like, you don't hit perfect shots. Like, the bad shots will happen. If you are okay with them happening, mm. then you can kind of move on and just stay in the present and move on to your next shot. Like, I know what you mean. You, know, you don't really want to think more than, like, you never want to think about the next hole or, like, 
the previous holes that you've played like you want to kind of stay in the moment and like playing your shots around what you're doing not so much like hey i got bogey that hole i gotta make birdie here right yeah like, okay you drive it in the trees like people are oh, i gotta punch this out onto the green and like save my par but you don't have to make your shots up immediately after a bad shot like you hit it in the woods you can chip it out dead sideways hit a great iron shot into five feet and save par you can chip it out sideways hit an okay iron shot take 30 feet make mm -hmm. a putt and save par mm -hmm. you can chip it out hit the green two putt it make bogey and make a birdie a couple holes later but if you try to hit that punch shot through the trees the hero shot onto the green mm -hmm. you're bringing in a ton of risk of like a really high number if you hit a tree and you don't get it out it could go anywhere versus you just put it back in play get yourself back in a comfortable situation you can be patient you got depending on the hole even if it's the 18th hole and you're playing a 72 hole golf tournament you got a couple days to make up for it you don't need to and it took me a long long time to learn that i was gonna and say like, you're you're spitting wisdom right now like, like it's very like, impressive i was like plus handicap before i learned any of that stuff like i didn't learn any of it until i was in university and i started working with uh a mental coach who was like gave us a really good perspective of in south carolina the patience yeah. yeah okay yeah and he was just like i kind of forget his name but he like gave us a really dr greg hollis was oh, his name that's a good name and he he uh he worked with a bunch of nhl guys before and then he kind of got into golf because he realized there's more potential for the mental side of it and was tom watson's mental career coach Worked with Charles Howell III for a while, a little bit with Patrick Reed. But when I was working with him, he was working with Rory McIlroy at the same time when Rory was switching from Titleist to Nike and was having the struggles with the equipment change. He worked with Dr. Greg Hollis over, like, just his attitude towards the game and, like, understanding that the clubs are virtually the same between each brand. Like, the ball speed's maxed at 1.5 miles an hour to club head speed on any brand's driver, like, iron technology hasn't really changed it's more about getting shafts that fit your swing properly and maximizing your personal swing and getting the best results out of it but he like i don't know i learned a lot from him and just like rory's perspective of not so much trying to make birdie on every hole like he was when he was a kid kind of playing the patient style of the game and waiting for your par fives and the golf courses are all designed to tricky like there's holes that are very difficult that you're not meant to make birdie on there's holes that are easy that you're going to have a chance like par three scoring average in pga tour the leader is usually like 2.9 2.95 like barely under par there's usually less than 10 guys that average under par for par threes on the season i'd say probably 80 percent of the tour averages under par on par fives if not more than that maybe close to 100 like it's gonna be silly how many guys average under par on the fives compared yeah. to the threes i hate par threes man i hate them and when you get better you kind of realize like those are your longest shots of the day like when i go play oakfield if i play the white tees like i'm hitting shorter clubs into the power fives on my second shot than i'm hitting on the power threes off the tee what are you hitting on a power three off the tee depends on the hole like hole let's say you're like i don't know the numbers out. off the top of my head but 170 it would totally depend on the flag like whether i want to miss it short off the green and chip uphill or if there's a tear on the green or typically to a front flag you want to miss it long back flag you want to miss it short so if it was 170 to a middle flag i'll hit an eight iron that carries 167 and it would kind of end up near there but if i had 170 to a back pin i'd probably hit the same shot 170 to a front pin probably hit the seven iron make sure i get it past it right put it on the green then putt back to where that eight iron i have to hit it perfect to get it there versus i could just hit a nice smooth seven 
knowing I'm going to be three to five yards long, mm. but I'm going to be on the surface. And even if I mess up, I'm going to have green to work with if I get it somewhere up past the hole versus if I were to try and force the eight on and miss hit it, then I got to get up and down. But okay. pretty much unless you're hitting pitching wedge or less, you're always aiming like to the safe side of the flag, just trying to get the yardage right. Give yourself a play off your second shot. Like I don't really ever aim at flags anymore unless I got a wedge in my hand. And even when I do, I'm really not aiming at the flag stick. I'm trying to hit it like somewhere five to 15 feet putting uphill. Okay. Like I'd almost always rather be double the distance going uphill than half the distance coming back down. Like I would prefer to have an uphill straight 10 footer than mm -hmm. a downhill five foot slider. Okay. Have you ever uh, have you ever raced uh, in track and field or anything like that before? Not so. I've never middle school. Do you remember the environment before uh, a track and field race and how it was kind of hostile and there was uh, you know a lot of other like kids that are quicker, other you know there's just there's a lot of competitors and there's a lot of people competing with one another and I always remember those competitions being very uh, I don't know, it was like nerve-wracking before you're about to, to race, I guess you could say. And I was watching, uh, I don't know what tournament I was watching a month ago, and I was watching all the guys putt and on the driving range and chipping and just getting ready before they teed off. And you've been on the tour before, and I, I just wanted to know what the environment was like on a Thursday before everyone's about to tee off. Because the only thing I could compare it to by watching on TV was track and field in grade six, how it was very, I just want to know what the environment was like um. or is like. I don't know. You kind of get into a routine with it, but like all the guys are in a routine. They're all off doing their own thing, whether like they start with their putting or their chipping or whatever it is. But, but is there nervous energy? Oh, definitely. Like you cannot play golf not being nervous. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Like if you're trying to break 100 and you shoot 45 on the front nine, you're yeah. going to be nervous on the back. If you're trying to break 80 and you are like four over with five holes to go, you're going to be nervous. Like, Especially with millions and hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah, on like the line. The whole idea is like you can't play golf not nervous. You can't win a golf tournament not knowing what your score is at. Like some people might tell you, like, oh, just forget about your score and like I can't do focus it. on the Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Like you can't win a PJ Tour tournament without knowing what your score's at. Like they have giant leaderboards with your face on it and everybody's score right beside it. Like you know if you're one up or two yeah. up or four or five, whatever it is, you know exactly where you're at all the time. To where you can't really take that out of your mind completely. All you can do is get into a good routine to, like, when you're one minute before you're hitting your shot, you're only focused on your target and picking a good shot and really engaging in the process of preparing yourself to hit the shot and choosing the best option, really trusting the thought you have to where, like, counting up your yards is huge, too. Like, that's why you didn't see a lot of the guys use the lasers on the PGA Tour in the PGA Championship. Like, they are allowed, but throws them out of their routine right these guys are used to counting the numbers up off the book they trust their caddies they trust the caddies like telling them that they're hitting it here to where like yeah the laser is a great advantage to know exactly how far you have but those guys like if they have 168 they're not actually trying to hit 168 they're trying to hit 165 where they putt uphill that's just like you were talking about right? a second ago yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. like it's the same and laser thing. you're talking about that thing the, yeah yeah okay yeah so like they're really not ever trying to hit the perfect number. They're always trying to pick whatever club is going to put them in the best situation for their next shot to where like they're in such a routine for counting it up and counting the yards. And like the laser doesn't even really matter. There's so much yardage you got to count after that raw number anyway, that it's still a guessing game to where if it's not 25 degrees Celsius, the ball will not fly its proper distance. Interesting. The golf balls are designed that. to compress their most amount at 25 degrees Celsius. Every five degrees above or below that, you're going to lose one and a half percent of your yardage 
just off compression. When it's too warm, the ball will squish more. It'll spin more. It'll go higher up. It won't go as far. When it's colder, it won't squish enough. It won't bounce off the face the way it's designed to. So if it's 10 degrees, you're losing 4.5% of your yardage right off the top. Really? To where also, if it's not 50% humidity, every 10% humidity increase, you're going to gain 1% of your yardage. Every 10% humidity decrease, you're going to lose 1% of your yardage. So people don't really notice it when it gets above 25 because the water's coming up out of the lakes and the ocean and the air is more humid to where water vapor is thinner than air, the ball will go further. So even if it's above 25, if it's like 35 degrees, you're losing 3% off your compression, but the humidity is probably also going to be up above 80 or 90. So you're going to gain back that 3%, maybe even 5 if it's 100% humidity. The ball will go further, so you don't really notice it. But when it's cold and the air is dry, if it's like 5 degrees, you're losing right off the top 6% of your yardage. Plus, it's probably going to be below 50% humidity. So if it's 10% humidity, 5 degrees, you're losing 11% right before you even uh, count the wind or the slope. That's why everyone sucks in April. Yeah. No, most people have no idea that the temperature affects the ball or the air pressure. How I never would have known or until you just told Elevation. Me. Like, I had a... I had an experience with elevation that was quite eye-opening. I went to play Latin Tour qualifying school in Colombia. That's awesome. In Bogota, which is 10,000 feet in elevation. And I chose the golf course because it was 7,600 yards. And I was like, yeah, it's right up my wheelhouse. It's real long. Like, got a huge advantage off the tee. So I showed up there, got to the airport, like, checked into the hotel, went over the course, like, Went through my warm-up, get ready to play, and the first hole was a downhill dogleg right, and there were these bunkers out there that were 310 off the tee, which is kind of right in my wheelhouse with the driver downhill. So I was like, okay. Sorry, it was downhill to the right dog-hill downhill? Like, yeah, downhill, okay, sorry. and then yeah, there okay. was bunkers yeah. on the dogleg 310 yards out, and I was okay. like, okay, I'm going to lay up short of that and play in from there. Yeah. And I hit three iron off the tee, and I flew it over the bunkers. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, must have been more downhill than I thought or downwind or whatever. So I got up there, had 140 yards in. Hit my pitching wedge 142, so I pulled it out of the bag, hit it right at the flag, and I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good shot. And, like, I was watching it, and it smokes the trees, like, 30 yards over the green on the top of the trees. So I was like, whoa, like, that was weird. So I continued to do it for three or four holes, just blasting everything, like, 20, 30 yards over the green. Like, had no idea what was even going on. No one told until you Until one of the guys in my group was like, hey, like, you know we're in elevation right now? And I was like, cool, what's that mean? And he's like, uh, the ball's going to go further. You know that, right? And I was like, uh, no, I had absolutely no <laughs> idea. So, like, every 1,000 feet in elevation, you're going to gain 2% of your yardage. So, we're up there playing at 10,000 feet, and I'm hitting it 20% longer, and I have no clue. <laughs> like, absolutely no idea. Even when I found it out in the practice rounds, it was so hard to adjust in the tournament that, like, I didn't trust my yardages the whole time. But then I went back and, like, played yeah. after, and now I'm pretty good at playing in elevation because, like, I know – how to count it and i trust my yardages now that's cool but it was just like i was like fish out of water i had no clue i'd never played golf anywhere other than sea level to that point wow so i was just like and me i'd played a couple rounds in like the pennsylvania mountains or something just casually where like i didn't really notice it was like oh the ball's going fire today well now that i'm thinking about it like the colorado rockies the baseball team they have the most home runs out of any yeah. other mlb team for the past how many years because they're so high up the or ball just flies football that makes Denver, sense they kick the longest field goals yeah that makes sense yeah it's crazy like the wind's like whipping in your ears like it feels crazy windy but you hit the ball up in the wind and the wind doesn't affect it because the air's thin like the wind's gusting yeah. left to right and yeah. you hit it and it just goes right through it it's like whoa it was like 
cool. Did I hit it that good, or is it just like the air pressure? Yeah. And it, it took a long time to kind of get comfortable with it. But it's like that everywhere. Like I played in Mexico. We were playing like 5,000 feet, and I was two years down the road after that, and I was pretty good at counting the yards and had a good week. But like your first – anytime you're in an unfamiliar environment, it's really hard to adjust. Wow. That's really cool. Just the fact that you traveled for golf and you you played around the world, like Mexico, Colombia, playing in different cultures. I yeah. think that I think that's so cool. I've only played maybe at eight courses in my entire life, and yeah. the fact that you get to like uh, when, when you travel to Mexico, how do you do? You bring your do you have a caddy that you bring, or do you meet oh, someone man. there? Like Happy Gilmore, meet the guy in the parking lot. It, it's exactly like that. It's an absolute disaster down there. What? Well, like, so what happens? Like, man, my worst cat. Well, I wouldn't say his worst. The kid was really nice, but <laughs> in Argentina one year, I got assigned a caddy. I was twelve years old. Wait, so you <laughs> yeah. were twelve? No, and- I was like, I was like twenty. And I got assigned a 12-year-old to caddy for me. But he signed up to caddy and lied and said he was 16. And he came out and he was like maybe like four foot two. That's like the movie. Like, that's like that little, movie with Shia LaBeouf. Kid. I was like, yeah. The greatest game ever played. I was and just I like, like, that felt kid. bad. I didn't want to be like, no, like, you can't have the job. Like, I need an adult. And I was like, all right, let's go. And like, buddy showed up in like jeans. It was 45 degrees Celsius. Had to carry my golf bag around the course for five days in a row. So he didn't carry the, your bags? No, he did. Okay, he in did. Jeans okay, and yeah. Like out in the hot sun, it was like forty-five degrees down there. It was crazy. I, I was like, I felt bad for him, but I was like, what am I gonna do? Like, go rat this kid out that's like trying to make a couple bucks? Like, <laughs> it was funny. I was like, my buddy I was traveling with, he's like, I, I would, I don't know what I'd do. I was like. I don't know. I just kind of was like babysitting him, and like, did he give you any good tips on the course? Like, oh no, not at all. And like, he was like picking up range balls and like kicking them down the fairway like a soccer ball. I was like, man, you can't do that. You're gonna get me penalty strokes. Like, if you do that on, I don't even know if like I might have cheated. Like that might be a rule. Like, that he's not allowed to do that. But I was like, if you do that on the green, like I'm 100 percent getting penalty strokes. Wow. So I kept like taking his ball and like throwing it away. But like, but he didn't speak English, so he didn't get it. And he thought I was just being a dick, like, throwing his ball away. But I was like, yo, you can't do that. It's against the rules. Like, you're going to get me in trouble. And he didn't speak any English. No, he, like, taught me a little Spanish. But he had, like, he had about as much English as I have Spanish, which is, like, a couple numbers and, like, a few golf terms that I picked up from some of the guys I played with that speak Spanish. What do you look for in a good caddy? What what are are the characteristics of a great caddy? Honestly, what I would look for in a caddy is someone that personally knows me really well and can tell when I get out of rhythm – and they can tell when I'm forcing it or tell when I'm frustrated to where, like, yeah, it'd be great to have a caddy with tons of golf knowledge and stuff. But, like, I have enough of it that I can get myself around the golf course. But I can't really pick up on my behavioral cues. Having someone that knows me really well, it's a lot more beneficial for that than it is for golf advice. To where, like, I had a couple of regular caddies that knew my game as well really well or... One of my buddies that used to play on the web.com or what is the corn fairy now would caddy for me a lot down south. And, like, I would trust their golf advice a lot more. But having someone that personally knows me and knows my behavior and when I'm a little bit off or when I'm in a good rhythm and it's okay for me to play aggressive makes a bigger difference than having someone that knows golf. That's cool. To where you see a lot of guys in the tour, like, brother-in-law's caddy or DJ's brother caddies for him. Like, Phil's brother, isn't he's caddy? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Phil's brother knows a lot of golf. He was a college golf coach for a uh, while. Okay. Like, really experienced and it's not like dj's brother doesn't know golf either but like they're out there because they know their personalities not because they're giving golf advice cool i like that yeah so that would be what i would look for in a caddy is just someone that's going to be able to keep me even keel and keep my mind in the right spot more than giving me golf advice yeah i like that 
Because you know enough about the game. You don't really need advice on the game. It's just Yeah, like, I don't yeah, need someone like, to count my yardage for me or tell me where the smart spot is to hit it. Yeah. But when I tell them what I'm going to do and I pick something aggressive, they're going to be like, hey, like, what are you doing? You're three over right now. There's It's not going to magically change so you can start hitting it at the flag sticks. you got to play defensive and just put it in a good spot. Yeah. Versus if I'm like four under and I'm feeling it, they're just going to let me hit it at the flag all day. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I want to know about uh, golfers that you've met that you've taken the most from, uh, whether it be advice, whether it be just anything, like a golfer that you really respect and that you've uh, had a conversation with. Oh, man. Um, that's really hard. Like, I've met so many different golfers over the years. Yeah. Um, people that I really, like, admire, people that do stuff beyond golf. Like, my friend Chad Tootin from South Carolina plays on the Corn Ferry, and his girlfriend has lupus, and he built a foundation to support that and donates money from every birdie and every eagle he makes and is really trying to make a difference outside of the game that's cool to where like yeah you learn tons and tons of stuff and like i had lots of guys on my college team that like taught me how to chip and learn how to play bermuda grass and like i've learned so much from so many different people but the thing i would probably like to do most myself is just to like grow the game and kind of give back outside of golf have you noticed the growth of golf in Nova Scotia this past year? You must have. It ain't just Nova Scotia. It's everywhere. Golf in general was up 20% last year, and it's going to be worse this year. Really? Because we're not going to be in a lockdown. Like, at Oakfield, we've already done, like, more rounds than we would have in past years before COVID. And, like, it's one of the only things to do. And it's going to stick because even before this COVID oh. thing, like, golf was blowing up with the young kids. Was like, it? Okay. Under 30s were, like, really getting into golf even before COVID to where, like, Golf's going to be in a really good place for a long time, right? Like, Tiger Woods made a massive difference. Like, all these kids that grew up watching him and stuff are now starting to be the people playing golf, right? Like, the people that were already playing, like, they were already kind of older than Tiger, right? Like, yeah, Tiger inspired a whole slew of young kids. Now on the tour, like, anybody can win any week, and there's so many of those young guys out there that – everyone kind of followed Tiger's work ethic and tried to catch up with him and stuff. And now there's so many good players that anyone's got a chance and it just encourages everyone else to believe they can do it too. Yeah. So like you're going to see a lot of different young guys come up to the tour and it's not going to ever be like Tiger. There's never going to be someone that dominates like him. Like it's Is he just, the best of all time? I would say so in my opinion, for sure. I mean, obviously played a different game than like the Ben Hogan's or the Jack Nicklaus's and stuff is a little bit of a different era, but as far as his dominance goes and like being at the top of the game and how much he was beating guys by in the early 2000s like there'll never be anyone like tiger like and it's just straight work ethic tiger was not the most talented golfer of all time like i would say it's probably john daly maybe phil mickelson right but tiger had like an absolutely outrageous work ethic like guys up in the gym 4am every single day all year like works crazy hard like kind of set the standard for like putting fitness into golf and mm. treating it like a full-time job in a sport to where you go back and watch like Jack Nicholas and Ernie Palmer and those guys back then like they're smoking darts on the tee and like they're out there just like playing golf like you see the Sunday casual golfers play to where like now you see guys like eating bananas and protein shakes and like treating it like a sport more than just a game mm. where like it used to just be kind of like elitist like if you weren't super rich you didn't play golf and like there's such a small amount of people that were allowed to play there wasn't a super high level of competition so like the guys didn't have to train like they do now to be at the top of the game but now that like 
golf is blowing up worldwide, there's going to be way more competition. You have to work way harder to get further ahead of the general public. I, uh, I asked you a question earlier about like, what's your, what's the addicting factor for you of golf? And you said, uh, just the pursuit of a perfect game, always improving, always trying to get better. And I, I agree to that point, but I also, I also think it's, um, watching these pros on television or at the, I've, I've always wanted to go or not always this past year i've wanted to go to a, an event but you should it'll but, change your mind on golf completely. we're gonna get into that in a bit but for for myself the uh the addicting factor is is watching it on television and watching these guys and some of the the, the things that they're able to do on television and one thing i you just brought up the work ethic of uh, tiger woods i was watching on youtube a couple days ago how, what's that thing where it's USA versus Europe? Oh, the uh, Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup. Yeah, so Ryder Cup. Tiger's, awesome. uh, Tiger's warming up for the Ryder Cup, and he's the only guy there probably 20 minutes before DJ shows up. Everyone else shows up, and you see this guy just laser-focused while there's probably 600 people behind him just watching him chip, watching no him. idea they're even there. But do you know the video I'm talking about? He's wearing, like, the raspberry, like, sweater. It's on the PGA YouTube posted it. Nonetheless, it doesn't matter. It was unbelievable to see this guy, who he is, what he's accomplished, be there for 20 minutes before these guys even show up. And they stroll on. You're talking about the driving range, too. The driving range. Because, like, I've studied Tiger's warm-up routine. I can 100% guarantee he'd already chipped and putted before he got up there. He was probably out there an hour before the other guys. Just keep talking for a sec. I'm going to show it to you. But to go off of that, what you're saying about watching a tour event, it would blow your mind if you watched one in person. I heard it's great because you get to go close to the golfers. Like you can just I think it's great because you get to watch the whole tournament. You're not just watching the highlight reel you see on TV. When you watch golf on TV, yeah. You're only watching the guys in the top 10 that are having a really good week and the highlight shots from all the other guys. You don't see what golf actually looks like. You don't see the guys that aren't hitting it well playing their shots to safe places. You only see the guys that are dialed in aim at the flag the whole time. That's why so many people get roped in to try and hit birdie on every hole. Yeah. To where when I thought I had no chance of playing pro golf. Like I didn't even think I was going to play college golf. But when I was down there in South Carolina, the Harbortown tournament was like 20 minutes from the school I went, and I went and watched it play. And like, I was watching some of these guys hit range balls and like warm up. I was like, wow, this is not nearly as impressive as I was expecting. And I watched them play on the course, and you're just seeing guys that aren't in contention like hitting shots that are worse than the shots I hit. I was like, whoa, like, this is totally eye-opening. Like, I'm better than these guys. Like, I can do this for sure. And, like, it's like that moment was like, man, I can probably do this. Like, it's there's way more humanizing when you see them in person. When you watch it on TV, you're just watching a highlight reel. Yeah, I never Whether thought. Whether it's a live highlight I never reel thought of it from that perspective. Compa- like, when you're watching on TV, it's just highlights. Yeah. yeah, and it might not be, like, a highlight reel. It's live for the guys that are contending. But still. But all the shots you see from the guys that aren't in the last four or five groups are just straight highlights. And the guys in the last four or five groups are having, like, their best week of the year. They're dialed in. They're, like, yeah. going at flags. They're hitting really good shots. And you only see the best shots on TV. You don't, like, in a golf tournament, you shoot even powerful four rounds. You two, take 288 strokes. 144 guys. There's, like, hundreds of thousands of strokes being taken. And you only get to watch, like, maybe two or 3,000 of the best ones. Yeah, I never thought of it from that way. But that's what got me. That's the addicting factor, like that stuff. Because then I want to go to the driving range or I want to go to the course and I want to do that. But the, the, but I never thought of it from that perspective, going to an actual event and seeing how oh, humanizing yeah. it is. It is very, like, 
They tricked Man. me. They got me. They yeah. tricked me big like, time. Golf's way more about hitting your bad shots to good places. Like those dudes out there still hit bad shots. Like, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, everyone thinks like the guys on TV are so much better than they are. Like, Dustin Johnson shot in the eighties, like for almost a month straight last year, and then he went on and averaged like sixty six for the season. But you only watched him shoot the sixty sixes. You didn't get to see any of the shots he shot no. when he shot eighty. You're right. I didn't. Right. I'm sure his sponsors wouldn't be happy if the TV showed that too. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're just. It's so funny, like, when you're playing hockey and you're having a bad game, like, you're out on the ice, you can see the guy that's feet aren't moving that day. You can see the guy that's, like, out of position. Like, yeah, there's nowhere to hide. But in golf, like, yeah, there's nowhere to hide score-wise, but they're not going to put the camera on you. Yeah, it's when true. you're watching, like, any other sport, like, there's nowhere to go. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to get out to one. Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely Hopefully. get out to one. We'll have a couple Mac Tour events in PEI end of uh august oh yeah yeah brood now dunderave are you in it um not yet because well i'm too far off being a former member to get an exemption into it okay but where the canadian tour is going to be canadians only this year okay they're going to open it up for just straight up first come first serve registration so it was supposed to open june 21st but i was emailing the tour director today and he said that they're probably pushing it back Cause I was looking for like what time of day it's going to be so I could plan my lesson schedule around it. Cause like it was like, fill- he told me it was going to be around noon and I was like filling up all my times except for like within an hour or two of that. And I was like, okay, like what time do I got a plan to do this? And he's like, oh, we're going to push it back a couple of days. We'll reach out and let you know. But when they do, like if you don't sign up in the first three minutes, you're not going to play. So how much money could you win off winning a- something in PEI? Like Way that? less than I would make working. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. So then why? Just because the love of the sport? Yeah, and that's why I'm, like, excited to play this time because, like, when I first gave the pro golf a shot, it was, like, I was so focused on making it my career and turning it into a job and so hung up on my results and how much money I was making. I was defining myself by the scores I was shooting. I was forgetting to have fun when I was out there playing, like, just from teaching amateur golf and, like, going over and over and over the smart shot things again and doing on-course lessons, like, Really, when I started doing on-course lessons, it really started to set in for me that, like, this is how you're supposed to play golf, to where, like, I know that's how you're supposed to play, and I'm telling people, like, this yeah. is where you're supposed to hit your shot. Like, this is the spot that the hole is designed to hit the ball. And until I actually got disciplined enough to go out there and do it when I was making an example to someone I was giving an on-course lesson to, I started shooting way better scores. Like, I've given six on-course lessons this year. I've only made two bogeys, right? Like, my whole life, I've always tried to make tons of birdies, and, like, and have like three bogey free rounds in my pro career and like my scoring average is under par like i make like five to six birdies around but like it's way more about cutting your bogeys out and putting the ball in a smart spot than it is other ones where like when i go out and i play it really smart and i hit it in smart spots every hole and i wait for the power fives for my birdie opportunities and then if i get a wedge in my hand i might try and hit it closer i wait for a good putt from 20 or 30 feet and i shoot like most of them are nine hole on course lessons or like even 18s but i usually shoot like one to four under with yeah. like very little bogeys rather than shooting like trying to shoot like 66 going at like every flag making nine birdies and a few bogeys to where like the birdies aren't going in you're still making bogeys playing those aggressive shots but like i just learned way more about it and i hopefully when i go play and i'm actually out there to enjoy golf now that i have a job that pays the bills and i'm not like reaching out for sponsor money and stuff and that was kind of the plan is to get on my own two feet kind of thing to where like when I graduated college I wasn't even gonna turn pro until like probably a month before I graduated and 
one of the courses I worked at, like one of the members offered me $20,000 to turn pro. He's like, you should chase this. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. Like, yeah, I didn't have any student debt cause I got a call scholarship and I was like, wow, like, I'm going to do this. And definitely, I was just so hung up on like not losing that money. And then when I did, it was like really stressful reaching out to people and trying to find sponsors and it's really, really hard to get dollars out of people. It's really easy to get product or get yeah. this guy to buy yeah. you a flight or pay for this tournament or that tournament. But like, I still got to live. Like I wasn't, I got to yeah. eat food. I got to pay rent. I got to like get pay a hotel. For gas. I got to do all this other stuff that yeah. like you got to have money for it. And like, you got to have money to play golf, probably most expensive sport to play. But just from like putting in the work and like working really hard at the golf course, like I miss being out there playing. Like I'd prefer to be out there like competing and stuff. So like this summer I'm in the Canadian PGA championship, August 3rd to 7th. And awesome. Where at? It's in Montreal. So I talked to my boss about like playing the Canadian tour schedule and stuff. So like, I'm going to go play the first Canadian tour event in Montreal, July 26th through August 1st, awesome. Canadian PGA, August 3rd through 7th. And then I'll come home for two weeks and host our junior invitational and junior club championship. Then I'll go to PEI and play the other two McKenzie Tour events, and hopefully I do well in those three, well enough that I have a chance to get a card for next year, and I'll go out and play the second half out west and try and get back on the tour for next year. But if not, I'll stay around here and keep working and play the local PGA Atlantic section stuff and help Oakfield build our golf simulators kind of thing. But right now I got four really big tournaments on the schedule that I'm going to try and get my game in shape for and hopefully play a couple small Atlantic ones to get the competitive feel back. Cause like that first three footer in a tournament's like no three footer of a hit in two years. So if I'm not practicing my short putts and getting confident, like I'm going to be nervous. Like I know I'm going to be nervous. Like, but if I can just control my breathing and slow my heart rate down, I can perform when I'm nervous. Have you chosen a caddy for these events yet? No, not yet. Oh, I wonder who you're going to pick. <laughs> you know, get someone that, you know, that was you. Yeah. You got me you got me dialed in right now. Somebody that can also take like a whole month off and go do it, right? Like, yeah, it's true. I talked to one of my buddies that lives in Montreal about doing he's like, Man, I can't take two weeks off of work. Like Yeah. He's like, We'll go play a practice round or something, but like Yeah, it's really hard to find someone that like is actually gonna help that's able to take that time off. Like even if I was gonna pay them, like Yeah. It's not great money. Like I'd pay a hundred bucks around for a cat, it's a pretty standard fee. But you're going to take a week off of work. You're going to make 500 bucks and like, yeah, it's not great. And even if I make money and pay an extra 10% of what I make, like, yeah, there's not a whole lot of money out in the Canadian tour. It's like a developmental tour. It's like playing the ECHL. Like, okay. The guys out there, like, unless they got money in their back pocket from their parents or sponsors, like you lose money big time. And I just let that cloud my enjoyment <clears throat> of playing golf. And I was so focused on all the money I was losing that I wasn't having fun out there. And, just getting so stressed out over bogeys and stuff. I'm like, oh, that shot cost me $1,000. That shot say, cost me $2,000. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the bad shots will happen. Like, if you can just enjoy your time out there, you're going to get better results. Yeah, that's such an interesting fine line where you enjoy yourself and you don't take it too serious, you will have fun. Yeah. But so if you do like, grind and you think of the money and everyone yeah, hits. Yeah, so now when I'm going and it's like, yo, I got to win the golf tournament to, like, even break even on what I'm making teaching. Like, I go, I've been – teaching a silly amount of lessons with the lockdown stuff but like if i were to take a week off teaching like i'm gonna lose probably at least two thousand dollars in income plus i'm gonna have to spend at least two thousand to go play and travel so if i don't win the tournament or come in the top five i'm losing money yeah but i'm 
also like even just playing in those events is great for like my teaching business and it's what I want to do it'll be fun to play like I have way more fun like even looking back on it like I enjoy being out there playing and competing and traveling the world more than I do working a job obviously but I just let the money kind of ruin the experience for me Hmm. to where now when I'm going to do it, it's because I want to play golf I love competing like it's more fun for me to do that and like if I go do that and I take these couple months off at the end of the summer like it's not going to hurt my lesson business like people are going to be like hey where's Brad I can't get a lesson this week oh he's at a Canadian tour event oh he's playing the Canadian PGA championship none of those people are going to look up my scores they're just gonna be like oh he's at this big tournament Mm -hmm. I should probably get a golf lesson from him like Mm -hmm. knows what he's doing Mm -hmm. kind of thing to where like yeah some people look the scores up and it's great if I play well but even if I play awesome like those same people aren't gonna like know how good a top five is or a top 10 like you don't know what that means but they know how good it is to play in a canadian tour event and that's really all that matters well that's exactly what my thought process of you coming here is like oh he's on tour okay i don't know what his score is but let's just get him in here but i know what you mean yeah Yeah. it's just they don't really care it's he's on tour let's go yeah Yeah, i know exactly what you're talking about if i take the half the summer and do that like yeah my demand for lessons when we open our simulators is going to be outrageous which i would hopefully set it up that way to where like I can teach in the winters out of the simulator, make my money. Then over the summer, I can travel and play a bunch of tournaments and take my off weeks and come home and give lessons in the summer and try to play a tournament or two every month instead of, like, doing it this way where I'm going to work, like, three months, like, 10 to 15-hour days, six days a week so I can put the time in to take the time off later Yeah. to where, like, I worked my butt off through the lockdown because I had nothing else to do. No one did. I was literally cranking lessons, like... (laughs) silly amount i did over 100 in may no which is like outrageous but like i was literally at the golf course like sun up sundown every day which doesn't change like it's always been like that even in college like i was a caddy on the weekends like you go out and caddy friday morning saturday morning sunday morning you play your college golf in the afternoons cool and then you go to school and then when i finished school i was the assistant coach i was working at the course i worked as the outside service manager i was caddying and i was trying to play pro like at the golf course like yeah. you're definitely not lazy like you go well like, like that's to me if i'm trying to make it to the pga tour and i'm not working harder than the guys out there i got no shot of catching up right it's yeah. all about work ethic like well it's everything everything in life it's about well, like, work that's all it is. putting in the work and like that's how i got the money when i graduated college like it wasn't because like buddy's like hey you're a great caddy i love hanging out with you like here's 20 grand it was because i was at the course sun up to sundown every day grinding like finish my loop caddy and i'm going to the back of the range hitting balls for an hour i'm chipping putting for an hour i'm playing nine holes like i'm there all day long and they're like the people see me working and they're like hey like i want to help you out like i had one guy that i gave lessons to before i even turned pro like well i was pro but not a golf pro i was a pro golfer and like he would give me a thousand bucks a lesson and we go to the back range and drink beer and i would just hit shots to be like yo like how do you hit a draw like how do you hit a punch shot like just hit like just wow. asking me to hit all these shots and then he'd give me a thousand dollars cash and he'd be like, spend it on golf yeah and i was like that's awesome awesome like that's amazing can we do this again tomorrow yeah exactly <laughs> let's do it every day this year yeah that's awesome so like stuff like that like i don't know like i feel like i've had a whole lot of opportunities in my life and like so many people have done a lot for me but i feel like it's all come from like hard work like i went to college i didn't wasn't even gonna play college golf wasn't even on my radar like i was supposed to play hockey for like i forget i think they're called like the shipbuilders at the time like junior a i was gonna like try out for them and play there oh yeah i think i didn't i no 
Yeah, like I was. I was in that organization. They weren't the ship, the Marauders and the Halifax Lions. Yeah, so I had like a tryout for them, and I was gonna play for the Bay Ducks if I didn't. Yeah, and just like go to Dal or Smu and like do business and hang out here and play hockey. But I was playing on Team Nova Scotia, and the school sent a recruiter up to look at one of the girls on the team. He's like, "Hey, I got this business where like you pay me this fee, and I find you a school of your choice." And I was like, "I want to go far enough south that I can play all year round." I want to be on a team that I can start. I'm not going to a different country if I'm not playing tournaments. Yeah. And, like, he found me a bunch of schools. I went down and visited him, and he took 10% of my first-year scholarship, and we paid him a fee to do it. And then after that, like, I got an academic scholarship my first year, and my athletic scholarship kept going up because I kept working hard to the point my last year of school, I went to school for free. And, like, Sick. even, like, the year before, I paid, like, 1500 bucks <laughs> for the year. So, like... I graduated college with no student debt and then got a bunch of cash from some of the members down south. And yeah. it's like, this is great. Like, I'm it's a no brainer. Three, four years ahead of yeah. everyone else graduating school with $40,000 in debt. So, like, I can take this time and travel the world where I'm young and energetic and I got this purpose to do it instead of working my whole life to save up and go on this vacation, like, just to see places. Yeah. Versus, well, you don't really see any places when you travel for golf. Like, yeah. I mean, like, you travel on Mondays, you get there. Tuesday, you play your practice round. Wednesday's pro-am day, so you don't play. You might get, like, but you're not going to go do, like, an activity on the day before a tournament. You're going to go to the course. You're going to chip, putt, practice, play nine holes after the pro-am. Yeah. Then you play Thursday through Sunday, fly to a different course Monday or a different country most of the time or wherever it is, and then you do it over again to where, like, they do it two, three weeks in a row. And, like, man, unless you miss the cut, you don't have time to go do it. And then when you do miss the cut, like you're traveling with your buddies, you go caddy for them. So they don't have to take like the local guy or yeah. it's usually like high school kids or school teachers or just like, yeah, I gotcha. It's not like the caddies that they provide are not the real deal. people that are caddies. Yeah. It's not like a PJ tour <laughs> event where you got like every guy that's a lifelong caddy from like hundred miles showing up to the course, looking for that one guy that didn't bring his caddy. <laughs> it's like, people that are like hey like, this is a pro event i kind of want to be involved in this and help out and come yeah. out to caddy it's not like they got any kind of golf knowledge nor do they know the people at all it's literally just a body to carry the bag yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so much information i just want to golf right now yeah oh, i fe- i have that feeling like all day long when i'm standing on the yeah. teaching deck giving lessons it's like someone's like hey we got a tea time at 1 30 like you want to join us and yeah. i'm like uh no i'm teaching to like six yeah but though, i wouldn't be mad at that like yeah i love I, that job i'm not i don't even have oh, that job and i love what you're talking awesome. about like i get to go outside and like hit demo shots for people all day my game stays in good shape i'm out in the sun i pick oh, yeah. my own schedule i can take weeks off when i want i can go play tournaments like it's i'll give you a scenario for me right now one thing i'm trying to figure out um I got a 60 degree wedge that I absolutely love. And some guys, you know, what's the, what's the difference between the, the green, but not the green. It's like not the rough, but the, the fringe the or like fringe. the apron. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. First cut. Right? I, I find like, cause I use my 60 degree in my backyard so much. And I think that's my best club. I know how to use my 60 degree so well, but it's a fancy club. You get a lot of lob on it and you can get it to where you want it to go. But <clears throat> I love it. I just love my 60 degree. If I'm on the fringe and I'm, I don't know, 20, 30 feet from the hole, I won't putt it. I'll use my 60 and do a little lob and try to get it there. I find that's more comfortable for me. But don't get me wrong. There's times where I completely go and over the top of it and I shoot it way past the pin and I look like an idiot. What's yeah. your advice on on that? Uh, on, on, the, on that. On like your club selection? Yeah. 
always play the club you want to play. Okay. Like tr- hit the shot that you trust the most. Okay. Whether you got to putt it out of the rough or you're hitting a flop shot from 15 feet, if you have any doubt in your mind, you're going to struggle to make good contact. Okay. But if you're like, I love that 60, I'll use the 60 all the time, and you trust it, it's definitely better to go with that than a club that you don't trust. Okay. That being said, the more consistent your results are with the smaller motion, right? If you hit the putt, it's a much smaller motion. It's much more consistent. Yeah. Typically, a good putt is always better than a good chip. Okay. Even a bad putt's often better than a good chip. Okay. Just because there's so such much lower risk. Yeah. Right? Like when you putt it, you're probably never going to miss the green. When you hit the chip shot with the 60, there's sometimes you might sub yeah. it, sometimes you might blade it. Yeah. But I would always just play whatever club you trust the most. Okay. Right? You got to have 100% trust or you're fighting an uphill battle. That's one thing I do love about my game right now is that I see so much room for improvement. But over these past four months, I've seen a lot of improvement. So, yeah, like my best shot, my best score this year was like a 91. That's awesome. And the fact the fact that I've only been playing for four months is great, but yeah, when you talk, about, but the fact that you that you're talking about the frustrations and the mental, what did you uh, shot selection? No, what did you uh, say? Club you selection. No, but selection you said or... something else at the very beginning. Um, play management. Play management. Oh, I like yeah, that. Game I, you talk yeah. about game management. Yeah, that's something I did. I didn't even know existed. That's until a huge thing. Like if it, you can just, you're gonna trust your shot. You're playing way more if you know your miss hit's gonna go to a good spot. Like, but I feel like with this game management, I'll be able to take a lot of. Uh, yeah, at least five strokes, at least. Definitely. Because there's times where I'm in the woods because I just smashed the thing off the tee, and I can't find it, and I got to take a stroke. So if I can just eliminate that and you know use a a nine iron just to get it out there and yeah, you know it's definitely like, like I'm, by the rules of golf, like if you hit one into the trees and you don't find it, you're hitting three off the tee box, to where you basically just made a double bogey in one swing. Yeah, it's gonna take you six good shots to make up for that one swing if you're gonna make. Probably more than that, right? Like, because you're gonna have to hit three good shots on a par four to make birdie, right? And they might not all be consecutive. So like, you're no. gonna have to hit six good shots for every single time you hit it into the trees. Yeah, it's just not worth it anymore. No, and like I, it t- that's what I was saying about used to hit driver everywhere. Like I had, yeah, yeah I'm used. To, I've always made about the same amount of birdies, but it's about cutting out the bogeys for me. For someone shooting ninety, it's about cutting out the big numbers being okay with doubles and bogeys and getting rid of all the big ones yeah to where it's probably my favorite golf stat i've ever heard a golfer that averages 90 and 18 handicap is going to make one birdie around on average a scratch golfer zero handicap is only going to make 2.8 birdies around the difference between a 90s golfer and a scratch handicap those other 16 strokes come from your short game and keeping the ball in play not from making more birdies. I love that. That gives me hope. Yeah. Especially with that game management thing. If you can cut out the big numbers and like make nothing worse than triple bogey for the rest of the year, your scores will be better. You can try to just make bogey instead of forcing the up and down for par and bringing in the double or triple. If you can just make bogey on every hole, you'll shoot 90. Okay. You don't need to try and make birdies to shoot better scores. Because if you try to make bogey every hole and you're just chipping it, onto the green to an uphill putt instead of trying to chip it in, mm-hmm. then you're going to have a chance at your power putt, but you're not going to have the risk of bringing the big number into play. Yeah. So okay. like you're going to save way, way more strokes just by keeping the ball in front of you and making your short putts. Like when I was in college, our coach used to say that every single time we get out of the van, he's, 
big old southern guy that used to do long drive and didn't really know a whole lot about golf it was mostly just like there's not a lot a whole lot of like obviously at the d1 level at like power five schools they have some really knowledgeable coaches but most of them are just glorified babysitters <laughs> and like we get out of the van every single day and he'd be like all right boys we're gonna go out there and make your three footers keep ball and play it's like okay like thanks for that advice you want me to make birdie on every hole too <laughs> like i knew that but just from that like if you don't if you're really good at your short putts you're not worried about how good you are at chipping because you know you can make your putts and then you're not worried about your chipping because yeah. Like, you're not worried about your irons because you know you can get it up and down. So yeah. you're not worried about hitting it in play because you know you have the rest of the game. So if you can build your game from the hole backwards, you'll have a whole lot more confidence. And, like, that's how a tour pro would warm up. Like, tour pros don't go to the driving range right when they get to the golf course. They start with the putting. They start with the smallest motion, find their tempo and timing for the day. Then they start with chipping, feel the ball contact. Then they hit some pitch shots. Then they go to the wedge range, and they hit, like, they get to the driving range they start with their distance wedges like 20 30 40 50 60 70 80 yards Mm -hmm. switch clubs like 56 degree 40 50 60 70 80 90 100 52 degree like 60 70 80 90 100 120 Mm -hmm. and they just build up to it nice and slow making sure their contact's good and they find a good rhythm for the day to where like a tour pro warming up for a pga tour event's not going to make a full swing until he's probably hit like 50 or 60 balls including his putting and chipping just like these guys right now not no one has a driver yet or, yeah or, that's or my that, favorite that. example of tiger woods oh right there he's tiger just grabbed now. a driver but he's been but there for like 30 minutes when tiger goes to the driving range i'd bet my salary unless the tee deck is set up right on the front of the deck yeah his first shot he hits on the driving range every single day will never ever leave the tee deck he literally chips it like 10 or 15 feet Let's see what it was. and then he hits a flop shot on top of it like all the time so this is him just starting here. You can watch the TV, or if you want to watch this, you can. Yeah. Okay. So what is he's that? Oh, look, wedge. it's a little wedge. Yeah, you're right. And he's just going to, like, flick it out there. That's his first shot of the he's day, right? He's literally going to chip it, and then he's going to try and hit a flop shot on top of it. Look at that. You're right. <laughs> That's crazy. And he does the same thing every time, right? So he's going to hit a couple of those chips, and he's going to hit them higher and higher with each one, working on his trajectory, building up his swing into a bigger motion. And then he's, like, he's going to hit, like, 30 or 40 balls before he makes a full swing. Wow. How did you know that? Because I watched a silly amount of golf. I probably watched just as much golf as I played it. But, like, that's the guy I study the most because he's the best in the game, right? If I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to learn from the best. So yeah, like, that's a good point. I mimic his warm-up routine when I play golf. Like, I don't do his – he starts with 18 three-foot putts between two tees with one hand. Then he hits 18 putts with both hands from the same spot, three-footer. He makes 36 putts before he even moves anywhere. So, like, I start, I start with a mirror – Make sure my alignment, my body position is good, my eyes and shoulders are straight, and I try to make 18 putts in a row. Then I'll take the mirror away and I'll make 18 straight putts. And then I'll go and I'll practice from like three, four, five, six, seven, eight feet, trying to spin my way around the hole, making a lot of short putts. To so like, you see everybody go to the golf course and there's a bunch of holes in the putting green. They'll putt from one cup to the next cup to the next cup to the next cup. That's what I do. 20 footers over yeah. and over and over again. A tour pro makes 5% of his 20 footers. So then why am I practicing that? Right, you're not building any confidence to where when you watch these guys on the warm-up green, none of them putt to a hole from outside eight feet because a tour pro only makes 50% from eight feet. They're trying to build their confidence up. They're going to make a ton of short putts, and then they'll hit long putts, not even to a target. They'll just feel the speed of the green. So they'll putt to the edge of the green or put a tee down and try and feel their pace. Okay. To where if your stroke's good enough to make a four, five, six footer, your stroke's good enough to roll the ball end over end. Okay. And then you just kind of feel your green speed. But smart. That's good advice. You don't really putt to a hole ever in practice from outside eight feet. And for your level, like 
So if a scratch golfer is going to make 50% from six feet, a 90 golfer is going to make 50% from four feet, everybody else doesn't even putt from inside of that because they're so frustrated by the time they get near the hole, they just pick it up and go. And the whole purpose of golf is to put the ball in the hole. And if you don't get good at those one and two footers, you'll never get good at three and four footers. Okay. And if you can get really good at the short putts, you're going to take out the stress of the rest of it. But like they're always going to start with they're always going to putt to the hole. That's really easy putts, and they build their confidence up seeing the ball go in the hole a ton of times. Like when you watch golf warm up next time or for the U.S. Open this week. Tomorrow like, morning, I will. Yeah, like all the boys will be putting tons of short putts before they go because they want to build their confidence up, see the ball go in the hole a bunch of times. Okay. Right, making 103 footers in a row is way more productive than hitting 120 footers where you make like five. Such a mental thing. You got to build your confidence up. That makes sense. Yeah, it's that all makes about sense. confidence and trust. Like, way more about your belief in yourself than it is your physical skill. Um, I find I haven't taken a lesson at all with golf, and I find something that helps me. To be quite honest with you, is uh, is learning from my mistakes at the driving range. I was talking to Stuart Lenahan. He's like, I don't even go to the driving range anymore because he just knows his mechanics so well. But for myself, who's just been starting to play this year, I go to the range and I'll use an iron for. 80 balls and I'll figure out I'll figure out my mechanics of my shoulders and it's been you know at the beginning of the year I had a slice pretty much on every single uh, on every single club but yeah. I figured out how to hit the ball and I figured out how I guess not to put 100% power into it and try to figure out how to use 70% and how to shape yeah, it and how to like definitely. aim it and I find that works for me and there's a lot of people even buddies it's like excuse me um, I'm not trying to take away what you do for a living I'm sure you help people but like for my own advice and when i go with my friends and they're like oh well, what are you doing there how, how do you do it? it's just like it's your mechanics whatever works for me works for me do you give that advice a lot for for the people that you teach or what feels most um, comfortable for you or what like kind of sort of like most of the golf lessons i give this time of year are almost all like balance and tempo oriented to where like most people have no idea that their ball contact has way more to do with their footwork than their hand-eye coordination yeah Right, the club will bottom out with your center of gravity, and if you can't control your turn through the shot and your weight shift, the club's gonna bottom out behind or in front of the ball all the time. Yeah. You're gonna hit it fat. You're gonna hit it thin. Your hand yeah. eye literally only has to do with hitting it off the toe and the heel. If you can't control your center of gravity with your footwork and balance, you're just, it doesn't matter how good your swing is. You're not gonna make good contact. Mm -hmm. You can swing as hard as you want so long as you can maintain very good balance. As soon as you're swinging so hard that you can't keep your balance. You have no idea where the ball is going to go, even if you hit the center of the face. Mm -hmm. right? When you watch this week, I guarantee no one's going to lose their balance on any golf shots at all unless they're like standing on like the edge of a root or like the edge of a bunker or something where like they're in a really awkward spot. But none of them will ever lose their balance, and they will all finish their swings well-balanced on their front foot, facing the target with their belt buckle, belly button, and head. I have learned one that's uh, through YouTube. Honestly, it's a uh, ball placement on where to put the ball for each club with a driver with a, uh, with a 60 degree where I'm putting. I've learned to, I've learned where to place my feet and that that's definitely helped a lot because oh, definitely. when I was on the drivers, like I remember starting this year, the driver, I put the ball on my back foot or like in the middle in between oh, yeah. my like right my belly button. I'm just foot. like, well, that, what, what are you doing Justin? And then you go on YouTube and you see like where to actually put the ball and you got to put it on your front foot. If you it set just, every club down to its natural balance point, all of the shafts will lean slightly forward, and when you match that with a straight line to your left shoulder, or if you're if you're a righty, I'm a yeah righty. Yeah, so if you set the club into its natural angle, they'll all lean slightly forward to a different degree on every club in your bag, except for the driver. It'll sit pretty straight up, straight down, because that goes in a straight line with your left arm, 
means the ball is slightly up by your front foot. Mm-hmm. Every other club, if you match your left arm to the natural shaft angle of the club, mm-hmm. it will tell you where it goes in between your feet. Okay. Okay. I like that. That's smart. And, like, that was something I didn't even learn until, like, I was a professional golfer. Like, had no idea. Like, I'd always got taught, like, this is where the 7-iron goes. This is where the 8. This is where this is where it's supposed to go in between your feet. Yeah. And then in 2019, I went down and studied my golf coach that I worked with for six years in South Carolina. He was director of instruction down at Jupiter Hills. And I went and job shadowed him for two weeks and watched him teach over 60 golf lessons and, like, learned an incredible amount about the fundamentals that even helped my game. Can you give me an example, like a fundamental of golf? Like that, like the golf club will tell you where your ball position goes if you set it to its natural balance point. Cool. Or like the footwork on all these guys is very, very consistent with every single one of them. Yeah, they all swing it a little bit different with their arms and hands, different tempos, different lengths of swings, different swing planes and stuff, but every single one of them will have their front foot slightly open and they'll step onto their lead heel with good balance because that's your most stable balance point when you're on your heel you're supported by your bone structure rather than most people set up with their feet perpendicular to the target like they're riding a snowboard and their weight rolls to the outside of their front foot and they can't finish their turn with good balance and once you lose your balance you lose your center of gravity control and your ball contact's always going to be variable I only do, so often will your hand-eye coordination and timing bail you out it's uh did you find uh playing hockey or any other sports before golf helped you at all oh, be a golfer definitely like, yeah I just learn yeah. how to be like an athlete and yeah have coordination and yeah hand eye yeah i find i find the same weight shift of uh of a chip just like using my 60 degree is the same thing in hockey as a as a saucer pass it's just that little slight touch that little bup, 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 yeah and then exactly. you just kind of get or it like, but other if other clubs have ever said to like hold the club lightly in your hands or like yeah hold it like a baby bird like i hope they specify they're talking about chipping and putting yes right if you're gonna swing that thing between 50 and 100 miles an hour depending on the club like you better hang on to it that's why you got a glove on right yeah you don't use a glove for chipping and putting, right? Obviously, he's not chipping, but, like, if you're going to swing it between 50 and 100 miles an hour, like, you better hang on to it. You don't want to be so stiff that your arms can't move, but you got to have a good grip if you're going to swing it that fast. To where, like, do you put the tires on your car loose? Like, the lug nuts <laughs> on your tires when you're going that same speed? Like, no, they're cranked on tight. Like, you're going 50 to 100 miles an hour. You better hold on to it. Yeah. But when you're around the greens, yeah, you want a soft touch and feel for really good distance control, mm-hmm. right? That's when you hold it really lightly in your hands. But, like, if you hold the club lightly in your hands, you swing it 100 miles an hour, it's going to go flying out of your hands. Mm-hmm. To where, like, if you got a good grip, then you don't have to squeeze it to death to control it. Yeah. But you do got to hang on to it. Definitely. But I do find not gripping it, like, a, a certain, well, obviously, driver and the higher irons, you want to be able to absolutely... Uh, you got to grip, you got to hold it. Yeah. But I, 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 that's what I'm talking about with my 60, where I think I'm the most successful with my 60 because it reminds me most of a hockey stick where it's a light touch, where it's a little, yeah. you know, it's a, that's just me personally. But And that's like another great analogy for hockey. It's like when you're trying to score on a goalie, are you shooting as hard as you possibly can every single time? No, because you're going to lose your accuracy, right? You're going to, your aim is way more important than your power. Yeah. Same in golf, like, you can score in hockey if you can place it in a good spot. You don't need to rip a slap shot on every single shot, right? Not every guy in hockey is taking a full bore slap shot on every single play, right? There's situations for that, like an open downwind power five. Yeah, sure, go ahead and give it a rip. But, like, <laughs> if you're hitting, a, like, a wedge shot, you don't need full speed, Yeah. right? It's like a saucer pass. Like, you don't yeah. need to rip the thing to hit it where you want. 
You just got to have good balance and timing. How much time are we at? Are we at an hour and twelve? Jesus Christ, man. Um, do I, are you good? Like, how much oh, time? Yeah, you sure? Yeah, I'm good for another hour, but I don't know. How, don't what? know if the viewers want to listen to two hours of it, but yeah, I'm good till four thirty. Um, yeah, you said you got. Did you get fitted this morning for anything? No, I was supposed to do a fitting day at Penn Hills today. What does that mean, fitting? Um, like, I'm like a fitting rep for TaylorMade, so I go. I have all of the TaylorMade gear, all the new product, and like a lineup of like. 30 to 50 shafts yeah. and like we'll take a track man out there and it'll measure like how fast your ball is coming off how high it's going how much it's spinning and we'll be able to match a shaft to the club head style that you like the best and that performs the best for you and we'll get a shaft that produces the best results with your swing to where there hasn't been a whole lot of technology change in golf clubs in the last like five or ten years really but the shafts are continuously getting better to and more diverse too so they can fit a wider range of players Right, like a guy on the PGA Tour is not playing the same shaft that you buy at Golf Town. Damn it! But you don't want to be because that guy's gonna swing it faster. That shaft's built for him. To where, like, if I hit a club as hard as I can hit it, like my maximum club head speed with a nine iron is probably like ninety-five to hundred miles an hour. If I hit it that hard, I'm only gonna hit the ball like one hundred and forty to one hundred and forty-five yards because it's going to go higher, it's going to spin more. Mm. If I swing it at the tempo my clubs are designed to be swung at with my natural rhythm, I carry my 9 on 157 because the ball will launch out lower with less spin. It'll travel a further distance with less club head speed because I'll compress it better and get more ball speed without having to swing faster. But my clubs are all built to be swung at a consistent rhythm, and when I try to swing too hard, yeah, my club head speed might go up, mm. but also my spin rate's going to go up and the ball won't go any further. Okay. I like how you said, though. Does the, do you think the gear matters? 100%. You think? Definitely. Like, and, okay, if you're okay. out there playing with wooden clubs, I'm going to Well, yeah, okay, it. sorry. Not Obviously not wooden clubs, but like if I walk into a, a driving range and there's like an old set of clubs there, you think I could, like a beginner golfer, could you, you get the job done? I just, my philosophy, I mean, like, I've played lacrosse and hockey my like, whole yeah, life. Yeah, so you're a hockey player. So it, it, my analogy for that would be, if you're going to go skate at the oval, yeah, you could go skate at the oval with the dull rental skates and walk your way around the oval. But if you want to make some cuts and, like, actually skate, you're going to bring your own skates that are sharp. Versus you go to Cleves and you get a skate sharpening, you're going to get, like, a level 2 or a level 3. NHL players going to get, like, a 5 or a 6 on his blades. NHL players play with way sharper skates than you get your standard sharpening at a sports store. Okay, well, then that, let's not talk about the pros. Let's talk about the, the amateur guy. Because I, I, my philosophy with lacrosse and hockey when I played, I, I was the guy that never had the best gear. Yeah. But I played extremely, not extreme. I played major junior. I played mooseheads for a bit. Like, I got there on talent and hard work. And I know you're a big talent, hard work guy. Yeah. But clubs, when I walk into golf town and I see all the selection, tons of selection. Oh, yeah. Left, right, center, every fuck, everything you can tons imagine. Tons of marketing. At the end of the day, does it is it is it more the player or is it more the club? Oh, it's definitely more the player, 100%. Okay. Like, I'm pretty confident I could go out there and break 80 with a set of wooden clubs. But, like, if I want to perform at a really high level, i got to have yeah, clubs okay. that fit yeah. my swing. I can agree. Okay. Right? Like, I could go out there and use a rental set that's, like, decent clubs, even brand new stuff. But if it doesn't fit me well, like, my odds of putting up a really good number is very low. So I don't have the same trust I would with my clubs or even clubs that have been specifically fit to my swing. To where, like, most of the – like, you – when I got fit, like, I went to Toronto and did a TaylorMade headquarters tour. Like, they weren't even measuring, like, 
how I was hitting the ball. They put sensors on every single joint in my body and they fit my shafts to my swing tempo and how fast my body was moving, yeah. not so much how hard I was hitting the ball. <laughs> but that's just not really an option because it's like a yeah. $50,000 machine that there's not the demand in Nova Scotia to support that. Not yet. To where there's only one in Canada and it's at the TaylorMade headquarters. But yeah, well, in general, like even if you were to go get on a launch monitor, it would tell you exactly how you're launching it and exactly how much spin you should have for your ball speed and what height you should hit it. And then you'll be able to maximize your distance by getting clubs that fit your swing. And it's more so about the shafts than it is the golf clubs. Okay, good to know. Yeah, well, I don't see myself making another purchase for yeah, golf a gears. bit. Like, I made my first purchase this year. It was golf like 800 bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so I'll wait. Yeah, like the new TaylorMade driver is like 699 plus tax. So it's 800 bucks for yeah, an off-the-shelf yeah. club. And then you can go I'm ahead good. and get like a $300 upcharge shaft. So it's going to cost you like 1100 bucks for one club. Dude, I walked into the golf town for the first time like this year and bought my set. I felt like such an outsider. Like there were so <laughs> many guys in there with like talking to the people that worked there. And I was like overhearing the conversation about what they're talking about. No idea what they're talking about. And I'm just in there like buying this one, this one package of... Uh, like I bought like a whole set of clubs, but anyways, I just felt like an outsider. But now that I'm starting to get into the culture of golf and understand like, you know, my club selection, things that I'm good at, things I'm bad at, it's uh, it's an exciting sport for sure. And like seeing all these clubs and different options, even hats, apparel, I love it. Even oh, the way you dress in golf is cool. Of, yeah. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of elements to the game that I can see myself enjoying for years to come till I'm retired. Yeah. And like so many like hockey, baseball players, yeah, like exactly. everybody that grows up playing a sport just like ends up playing golf because it's like a lifelong sport like yeah. you can be 50 years old and win the pga championship it's like awesome there's really no age limit to golf yeah which is like encouraging for me where i'm hoping to go back out there and play and i have a way better perspective of it now and a better attitude to where I, i'm not like oh man like the clock's passed me by i didn't get drafted this year career's over like there's no time limit like it's as awesome. long as you get your mind right you always have a chance yeah What's one thing you're looking to improve on this summer when you're on the tour? I just have fun. That's it. Just have fun. Dude, like, easy goal. Enjoy it. Awesome. Like, be out there, like be happy to be back and just enjoy the shots and really play smart. Like try not to win the golf tournament by making birdie on every hole. Try to win the tournament by not making bogeys. That's kind That's of awesome. the plan. That's awesome. Dude, well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. This was wicked. Awesome, yeah. I'd love to come back. It's great meeting y'all. Dude, I, I'd love to come out on the course with you and somehow. Uh, yeah, for sure, definitely. And, and, and just play, or even just. I got to show you that sixty I'm talking about. Just chipping, it, chipping it on. Yeah, I got to show sure. you what I'm talking about. We'll set something up for sure. I love it. I'd love to play. I'm gonna try and play a lot of golf between now and end of July. So. Okay, cool. We'll set it up for sure. Awesome. All right, everyone listening, thank you very much for uh, tuning in. We do appreciate it. Is today is. Uh, Today's Wednesday, so last podcast of the week. Enjoy your weekend. We will see you next week. Have fun. Stay safe. Play golf. We are out. Peace. Sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you
And I know it's gonna be A lovely Then I 